you write things in a notebook. So let's do that every day. Now I'm on this mission. Now I know that this is the most important thing. That time in my life, I knew that that was critical. I was good with my training knowledge and my business knowledge. I got to work on this because nothing's more important. So you got to prioritize one thing in your life that you're working on. There's four different pillars and you want to be working on your relationships. You want to be working on your fitness and your business and your mindset, but one's got to take priority. There are certain seasons of your life, right? And I just knew that that was the one that was really lagging and lacking. And so every day I would get up and say, okay, let me set some goals for the day. It's not my normal personality to go out and be boisterous, engage with everybody and talk to everybody and give compliments. So let me start making it that way. Let me start pushing myself out of my comfort zone. So instead of, you know, looking down at your phone in the elevator or at the cashier, let's talk to somebody, whatever it is, like always be observing. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. And if you're anything like me, you love to surround yourself with those who are in your industry that have been doing it much longer than you and those that have gained a lot of wisdom and knowledge along the way to be able to learn from. And so my guest today is Jay Ferugia. And Jay is a fitness and coaching OG. He's been helping people become a stronger version of themselves since 1994. His clients have included CEOs and professional athletes in the MLB, NFL, and WWE. And Jay is also the host of the popular podcast, Renegade Radio with Jay Ferugia. You may have seen his work in men's health, muscle and fitness, men's fitness, fast company, live strong, muscle and fitness, her shape entrepreneur, or even on ESPN or CBS and surveying his social media profiles imparts an impressive physical specimen. But what's most impressive is how grounded he is mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. He is a master networker, connector, and makes new friends and contacts with ease. This guy is full of wisdom. Just check out his Instagram to see for yourself. But this success did not come easy for Jay. Growing up, he was the skinny kid who was socially awkward, shy, and insecure. He also struggled with his mental health and even addiction. But today, he stands strong and shares his story and the blueprint to improving your social skills, building meaningful relationships, exercising your emotional muscles, and of course, we chat fitness. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Jay Ferugia to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Jay, man, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah, man. It's good to have you on here. I know we've had the good fortune of meeting each other in person. I was on your show and I wanted to get you on mine because digging into your journey and your story, I realized there's a lot in there to unpack that the listeners can get a ton out of. And I know today looking at you, you've been in the training business now for two plus decades, worked with professional athletes, professional wrestlers, top CEOs, sports teams, been an advisor to different health publications and written all over the place. But a lot of people don't really know that there's a pretty inspiring backstory that started with being bullied in school, being hyper insecure, growing up in a divorced home, 
And that really led you to, into wanting to work out. So maybe walk the listeners through a little bit about how you grew up in that sense and how getting into fitness and, and working out kind of, kind of saved you from all the troubles you were going through back then. So I was just kind of that stereotypical 98 pound weakling kid. I mean, first I was just a chubby little kid and never the most popular, certainly never even close to the best athlete. I didn't really have a ton of friends and I basically grew up like watching superheroes and wanting to be like that. And then watching pro wrestling every Saturday morning to want to be like that and not wanting to be the way I was. And, but you eventually, if you live with something long enough, as you well know, you kind of create this false narrative in your head and you're like, ah, that's just who I always am, who I always will be. And anyway, so I got into training, got into fitness because I was like, man, I want to be like Wolverine. And then later I want to be like Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior and things like that. And I thought that maybe that could, you know, make me more popular, make me cooler, make me a better athlete. And I could transform myself and then I could start to think differently. People would like me more. And so I started training when I was 12, probably wasn't super dedicated, but 13, 14 really just stuck with it. And I graduated high school, five years of dedicated training. And I was 147 pounds and six feet tall. So it wasn't really working out. And then in college, I was like, man, I got to learn more about this. I got to figure this out. I got to get more serious. So I started studying exercise science and ordering every book and, and VHS tape and all these things. Like there was no internet. So you just had to order stuff on the back of Ironman magazine and that kind of stuff. And then I started interning in the weight room and I kind of discovered and learned about more different principles that actually started working and helping me transform my body. And I could see my confidence growing and I could see things improving. And then I just, I loved it so much that I, I got certified. What happened was actually, I was probably heading down that route anyway. I was probably going to end up getting a certification and whatnot, but I, I got tuberculosis. So I got super sick wow. sophomore year and I almost died where the doctor said, man, if you didn't get to the hospital today for me to perform this emergency surgery and drain like a, a liter of fluid out of your lungs, you would drown and die the next day. So that led to me having to take a semester off school. I had to be on like 30 pills a day for a year. It turned my pee fire engine red, made my hair fall out. And so I was crushed. So during that time, though, I had ample time to sit on the couch. So I, that was when I first got my first certification continue to go through these not online courses, but like study at home courses and things like that. And then went to live events and workshops once I was better, started training people. And within that same year, and I still to this day don't really know how, because I obviously didn't know that much about training, certainly didn't know anything about business, but I was on pace. It was just growing rapidly. And I was on pace to make six figures within that first year. I was like 20 years old. So I transferred back home and, and went, went to Seton Hall University, and then I was just running the business and saved up every dime to invest back into the gym. So two years later, I was able to open up uh, a small underground warehouse-style gym, which was really one of, the, one of the ones that kind of popularized that long before CrossFit and stuff like that, and the training methods we were using. Like nobody was doing sandbags and chains and, and ropes and sled, sledgehammers and sleds and tires back then. We, we were doing all that stuff. That was kind of what first helped me grow in popularity. That's incredible, and it's it's always great to hear number one, how the power of fitness and how it can really help to begin to transform yourself from the inside out when you start exercising, because we all know the benefits of exercise, the increased self-confidence, self-esteem, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, doing things you never thought you could do, what happens to the brain when you set and achieve goals and things like that. But it's in, you take it to another level and you're like, okay, I've seen how much it's helped me transform myself. I'm going to help other people and I'm going to get in the business and create something. 
And I think it really just showed that you were in it for the right reasons. You were super aligned with your purpose at the time. You might not have even known it, like you said, because you go on now to being an OG in the online fitness space, getting into writing blogs early on, developing a pretty substantial following. And then you end up working with professional athletes, professional sports teams, and being just known as one of the guys to go to to help build muscle. So what was that transition like from you're somebody who gets into the business and you just start training, like you said, build a gym. How did you go from working in the brick and mortar facility to pivoting online? I mean, because back then, I mean, when you and I were having lunch, you told me when you started pivoting online, like nobody was thinking about that. So mm-hmm. how'd that all start for you? So Christmas just passed. And on Christmas, I received messages from kids that were 16, 18, 22, whatever, that trained with me in 1996. 2000, 2001, 2003. And to this day, it's still some of the best memories of their life and mine. And we're still close friends and they're still close friends. So the impact that I was having, even though I was making great money, I didn't care that I was working 18 hours a day. This was amazing. The the changes I made in people's lives. And I still remember, for example, Patrick Doyle's mom coming into me, into the gym, beelining over, tears in her eyes, hugging me. Pat had gotten a scholarship, but she didn't like it wasn't so many of the people I trained get broke high school rushing records and got scholarships and went pro and all this. And that was amazing. But it was when their moms would come in and be like, Patrick is such a different person. You completely transformed him like inside and out, like just the way he acts, the way he carries himself, the way he treats people, the way he thinks his worldview because of the six years he spent training here. So I didn't know that much about personal development and mindset and all that back then. I really didn't even study that. It was just, I don't know. It was just what we did. Now it's more of a trendy kind of thing. But so I was like, man, this is amazing. I love this. But as anyone that works in training business, eventually you get burnt out. Like 12 to 16, 18 hour days training people. Maybe it's five years, maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 20 years, but eventually you get burnt out. And also if, you're, if what you're doing is making a big enough impact, in a way it's, it could be looked at as selfish as like, man, I should give this gift to more people not just the people that are within a 20 minute surrounding drive, you know? So that was really it at first. And then once I saw the potential of the money and being able to work less, I was like, Oh, let me double down on this. So originally it was my friend, Alan Cosgrove, who's I've known since 1996. And whenever we talk training, I was saying stuff. He's like, nobody has even thought about that. Nobody says that nobody puts out that kind of information, the way you're thinking, why don't you start sharing these ideas online? And the word blog didn't even exist. So I just created this own, this website wizard site of my own for like 10 bucks. And I was putting stuff out there. And for some reason, it just started picking up popularity. And then people were like, hey, can you, can you write programs? So in 2003, I self-published my first uh, 12-week program. And uh, oh no, I'm sorry, 2001. And then 2003, Men's Fitness did a big feature on me. And with, I was making maybe a few hundred bucks a month, right? In the self-published thing. But then the Men's Fitness thing comes out. And every day for the next six weeks, it goes to 300 bucks a day, which I'm not that great at math, but I know that that equals equals six figures. I was like, wow, okay, there's some good potential here. Let me really double down on this. So so from that time, I was still doing 12-hour days at the gym, but I would come home and put two hours into just working on online stuff. And so that was kind of the transition. So it was about 12 years of 12-hour days, the last three four was was transitioning online and then it got down to like six hour days and then more more time spent but what i tell people nowadays is 
a lot of people, I think, in this age of information and overwhelm, they're trying to build three things at once. Like they'll try to build a, a podcast and a blog and a coaching program and sell an ebook. It's like you got to probably do one thing well for a while and then build the second thing, the third iteration, things like that. Yeah, because what do they say? You can do five things average or you can do one thing phenomenal. Like you got to pick and go yeah. deep on that. And then yeah, as yeah. a result, you'll once you get that going, once you build the podcast, once you build the blog, once you build the coaching program, to a point where it's sustainable on itself and it's generating enough income for you to be able to leverage that time to, to finally put whatever time you were putting into that into some other buckets, it'll you'll be a lot better off than if you try to just go full out on five different projects. Because think about yeah, it, yeah. like there are five different careers in themselves. Some people just do right. podcasting and make right. a living off of it. Some people just yep. do online coaching. Some people just write a blog. And the other thing I want to point out that I think the listeners really need to hear. And it doesn't matter whether you're trying to start a fitness blog, whether you're trying to lose weight, whether you're trying to get into a relationship, whatever it is, the point is that you did it for the right reasons. You did it because you wanted to help people. You saw it. There was a point in your life where you've noticed and you were listening to the sounds around you that, wow, like people are really appreciating your work. Your ideas are different. Your creativity is different. And the one thing that I, I really think that I get from you is just passion. You're passionate about everything you do and not in a, in a crazy intense way. I mean, I've heard you tell stories about stuff in the gym you used to do and you were like super crazy passionate about like not getting a rep in, but I'm talking about when you do something, you do it right. You do it for the right reasons. And I think that's the way it's, it's kind of paid off for you in the right ways. And I think the other thing I wanted people to remember is that things take time right? You heard Jay just say that he started this in 2001. And now you might look at him and he's got a very successful podcast. You see some of the people he hangs around. There's some of the most influential people in the online space. He does very well for himself. He didn't just start there. And I think so yeah, many no, people think, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I actually started in 94, but I started the online stuff in 2000. I started selling stuff in 2001. So right in 2000. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a while. 26, 27 years. Well, yeah. And then the reason I was even bringing that up is because now you got people that even pre-COVID, online's like everything. Everybody wants to start a coaching program. Everybody wants to start a podcast. Everybody wants to start a blog and they want to go viral in like two days. And in reality, it doesn't happen. I mean, you might get like, there's every once in a blue moon, you'll somebody will create a video and it'll go viral just by sheer luck. Yeah. But that's maybe like less than 0.0001% of the people it happens to. I think it's the people that play the long game, do it for the right reasons, make sure that the choices they're making are aligning with who they want to be and they align themselves with the right people, the right places, the right things. And whatever they're going after will end up becoming success just by nature of being consistent and doing the right thing over the course of time. And so one of the things that, one of the many things that I think was a parallel in your story in mine is that I heard you talk about the power that fitness had in your transformation for yourself and how much it helped you with your self-confidence, your self-esteem, you're feeling good about yourself. And then you, of course, you parlayed that into something incredible with your business. But I also heard you talk about that fitness can only get you so far. And for me personally, I experienced that as well, where I, I got my, about my story, I got out of jail and I started working out and that's all I did was focus on fitness and eating right. And that became my life. And then I hit a certain point where 
mentally and emotionally, things just kept coming up, the same patterns. I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. I felt all this resentment, shame, fear. I mean, you can go on and on. And I was like, man, I thought fitness was the end all be all. But really, I was just a more fit, younger version of myself. And I heard you talk about that too. And I think it's important for people to hear this because as much as I preach about fitness being important for the health transformation, for your mental health, it can't be the end all be all. So talk about your experience with it, that like point you hit in your life where you're like, man, I got to take a deeper look inside myself and actually work on the emotional mental muscles too. Yeah. I mean, to reiterate, I think it is the foundation for everything. I think it is, yeah. you know, the, the, the main keystone habit, like the rock says, it's your anchor. It's so critically important. But like you said, if, if that becomes your only focus and you're just like, oh, how do my abs look? How strong am I? Like, did I set a PR this week? And then you become obsessed with that kind of stuff. Like you said, so I became this bigger more jacked up, stronger version of the person that I used to be. Like, yeah, okay, I definitely had more confidence. I was better at sticking to habits. I created discipline. All those things were great. Not going to downplay any of that. But there was still stuff you get to a point. And some people, this is at 26. Some people, this is at 42. Some people, this is at 60. Some people never get there. But I had just, for whatever reason, I had put myself in circumstances. Maybe I read certain books. I had certain experiences. And I was like, oh, man, there's so much more that I still need to work on. It's not just getting fit. It's not just eating right. And I started to really kind of just look at, okay, how am I showing up for people? How am I holding myself back with self-limiting beliefs? Never really even thought about until my early 30s. Never really, really thought about the impact of childhood and growing up. Like, how did that affect me? And what am I still carrying in my head and my heart? How am I playing small in certain ways? You know, how am I still blaming people and not taking a hundred percent responsibility and extreme ownership over everything in my life? Am I still thinking that someone owes me? So I'm, I'm blaming somebody else. So I wanted to really do a deep dive on all that, and that was really the main reason that I wanted to move to the other side of the country because I knew that environment, or your environment, really influences your your actions and your attitudes and your mindset. And I knew that I, at the time I just wasn't strong enough to make this transformation where I was. I want to move 3,000 miles away, start over, reinvent myself, seek out the right people, even though it's a cliche, be in that circle of people who are going to influence you to do the right thing, to hold you to a higher level, to have accountability, read certain books, push myself out of my comfort zone, take improv classes, take stand-up classes, whatever it was, and address all these fears. Because for so many years, I just buried myself in my training and work. And that was it. Get up in the morning, work all day, train, go to sleep, and then I was like, man, so many changes have to be made. And, and I'm still on that journey today. Like, you never get there. It's no. every day. What do we work on? Every single day. It's like if you don't brush your teeth, they would fall out. So if you don't get up every day and try to get better at all these things, communication skills, relationship building skills, check your self-confidence. What are you doing? Like, every day you're working on this till the day you die. You're so right. And I think in a world where so many people – their profession ends up becoming their identity. You see it a lot with, with fitness professionals, right? Our identity gets wrapped up in our business and who we are. And, and it's like, if you're not talking about how you're going to get your protein at your next meal or what exercise you're going to do to build your bigger arms, like you don't want to talk to anybody else. But in reality, the world is so much bigger than just doing curls, eating chicken, hitting new PRs, because there's a lot of people that aren't in that space and it can become obsessive and you can, get, you can go down this rabbit hole where that's all you focus on and you end up becoming 
a monster. I mean, for me, I personally, I was not going out because I was like, can I eat healthy if I'm out? I was meticulous about making sure that I never, ever missed a workout. And I granted, I'm not advocating for people to miss workouts, but I'm talking like I would do whatever it took, like skip out on family dinners, not go to certain things to make sure I worked out. And it was actually creating more mental health issues because now it was, I was ashamed of myself. I was fearful. I was like, how have I just pretty much not, I don't want to say I I traded one addiction for another because I, I don't think I got addicted to the point where I couldn't live without exercise, but I became very obsessive. And I think what ended up happening for me, and I, I don't know if you can relate to this, is I would I would cry and I would tear up because I felt that I had everything the world said would give you happiness. I was making great money as a trainer. I'd written a book. I had a six pack. I had arms. I was passionate. I was consistent. All these things that you're told will, will be successful. I'm not blaming the internet. I'm just saying it's a fact. Like It's just what it is. And I fell into the trap and that's on me. But in reality... It's not. You have to do the, the, the deep work. You have to work on yourself continually every single day. And you're right. It is a journey. It's not, there's never a point where you just put a stake in the ground and say, you know what? I'm done. I'm healed. It's, it's an everyday thing. And we're seeing that a lot with this pandemic. We're seeing that with a lot of issues people have faced over the last few years. And one of the things that is so inspiring that you said, I've heard you say this in one of your interviews, was this notion of progressive overload. And I'm not talking about how to do or get stronger in your squat or bench. And I think that's important. And we could uh, clearly have an entire podcast on that. I'm talking about the um, the mental and emotional muscles. And I love how you correlate the importance of working those to the physical ones. So talk a bit about how you went from the, because for those who are listening, Jay was the guy who was the hyper introvert, bullied, super shy to now being this master networker. So talk a bit about how you went from the ladder to where you are and how you implemented your knowledge of what progressive overload can do for your muscles physically to your muscles emotionally and mentally. Absolutely. So yeah, the, the progress, basically progressive overload for anyone who doesn't understand, if you go to the gym and you could squat the bar, you could squat 45 pounds, if you squat 95 pounds in a year, if you're squatting 95 pounds, obviously your legs will be no bigger or stronger, no better endurance. You're not going to be lean or nothing's going to happen. So you have to challenge yourself and do an extra rep and then add an extra two and a half pounds or five pounds. And eventually over time you get stronger. So you track PRs, right? Okay. I can only do three chin-ups today. Maybe eight weeks from now I can do nine chin-ups and then I can get up to 20 chin-ups. So you're tracking PRs. So we get that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go play golf and you shoot 170 the first time. And then a year later, you'd be happy shooting 170. You'd, if you were in the eighties, you're like, that's amazing. You know what right. I mean? So you're, but why don't we apply this to our social skills? Why don't we apply this to our ability to communicate with people? You label yourself a certain way. Like, okay, I just am not good at building relationships. I'm not good. If there's a lot of people around, I'm introverted. I get quiet, whatever it might be. You tell yourself this story. This is how it, was, it would always be. And you don't think you can get better at it, but why you've proven to yourself that you can get better at squatting. You can get better at playing an instrument or playing golf. You learned a different language. You went from getting D's in school to B's or C's, whatever, like you've improved. So you know that you can improve in anything. So, but I was the same way. I just didn't think like, I was like, man, I've always been this way. But once I had that kind of awakening, whatever it was right before we moved to Cali and I was like, man, I got to change these things. I was like, all right, I got to get better at this. I see how people that own a room or, or make people feel special or make people feel great or who are funny and who are captivating and how they tell stories. I was really starting to observe all that. I was like, that's just a skill they worked on. They got better and better at that over time. 
like maybe there's a few outliers that are always that charismatic and good, like maybe someone like Arnold or The Rock or someone, but I'm sure even they work on it, you know? And so the first thing I think is just observing, like, I forget the name of the effect, uh, like the the Zagnaric effect or something like that, where you haven't seen something before and then someone points it out to you and then you see it all the time. Mm. So that was kind of the thing. Like I had this awakening and then I just observed. So you learn from everybody. Like if I go out and have lunch with someone today, I will learn something from them about how they talk to the waiter or how they pause or maybe what not to do. Like, oh, that's a bad (laughs) tick or bad habit. Maybe I actually do that. And I said, oh, shit, I do do that. Like, you just have to be observing all the time, every day, just be hyper aware. If you're just staring at your phone and you're never really present, you're not going to get better at anything because you're not observing. Like, every minute is a chance to learn either what not to do or what to do. You bring up some really good points. Number one is that this this whole notion of being self-aware and being mm-hmm. focused and that, I mean, when, no matter whether you're trying to accomplish a fitness goal or any other goal in life, you have to be aware of what you're trying to do. You have to set some tangible outcomes. And number two is to know that you're not going to always have it all figured out and being open to learning from other people and surrounding yourself with people that are going to challenge you. And that's why we'll get into a little bit later, the importance of your inner circle and how your inner circle isn't just to pat you on the back and say, rah, rah, Jay. It's like, dude, you shouldn't have said that to that person. Like you need to apologize or hey, man, like you haven't gotten back to me in like two weeks. Like, is everything okay? Like people to challenge you to say, you know what? Like, here's where you can do better in a constructive way. Right. And the other thing I will say too, and I'm so sorry, just to interject there. I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause I would have forgot to talk about that, but my closest friends will joke around and say, man, I've never had a meaner best friend because I do that for them. And I expect people to do that for me. And that's really important. Like, you're like, dude, what the fuck are you thinking? Like, right. how did you, you know what I mean? Like, and they know that I love them more than words you could describe, but that's what I won't do. I wouldn't do that for somebody like you and I don't know each other well enough for me to punk you out like that. My best friends, I'll do that all the time because I want them to get better for no other reason. And it's also hilarious. So I'm giving them the gift of laughter, but at the end it's for their benefit. And you have to be around people like that. If you're just around people who say everything you do is great, it's not that great. Like when I get off stage, for example, if I speak and one or two of my best friends are there and they're speaking, we'll come off. And we'll be like, great job. Give each other a hug. Okay, now give me the 10 things that I could do better next time. I don't want to hear it was great. Because people are going to come up to you in the audience after and be like, oh, that was so great. That doesn't help you get better. What yeah. are the 10 things that I could do better next time? Or four things? Or how did I fuck up? What was bad about that? That's what you want to know and always be improving. Self-accountability is everything. And, yeah. and being held accountable from your friends and people around you is also extremely important. I, I'm going to say this. I can't completely take credit for this. I don't know if it's been said or not, but I think it's really, there's a lot to be said for a bad friend. will tell you what you want to hear. A great friend will tell you what you need to hear. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it applies in every area of your life. Make sure you're hanging out with people. Like the Jay said, they're going to be like, dude, like, what are you doing? You could have done way better at that. That's the only yeah. way you're going to grow. If you're continually being told you're doing amazing, even though you're not, you're going to stay stuck in that same spot because in, internally you're going to start to pick up on that narrative and everyone's telling you how great you are that all of a sudden you get to a point in life years later and you, you get into a completely different room and you're being told you're great at this one thing and then people might say something to you and be like, that was horrible or that wasn't good. And you're like, what the heck? Everyone around me has been telling me how great I am. It's going to create a massive disconnect. And the other thing that I wanted to, to point out in that we have no issue at times setting goals in fitness, whether it's 
putting more weight on the bar, running a better mile, increasing the amount of push-ups we can do, whatever the case may be, is because we can kind of stick to ourselves in that, right? That yes, there's a fear of judgment if people are watching us, but I think we learn to get past that and we soon realize that no one's really focusing on anyone else but themselves. Right. But when it comes to like mental, emotional, and social skills, judgment really comes in that fear of what are they going to say to me? Are they going to yeah. say no? Are they going to say yes? Are they going to respond to me? Are they going to make fun of me for my shirt I'm wearing? Are they going to judge me if I'm if I'm wearing tattoos? Whatever it is. And I loved it's it was so simply put what the it was kind of like a game you played if you will on how you kind of created this program for yourself to really work on your social skills. I mean, you can definitely tell that you're a really good trainer because you're, you had this whole program design in in how you were doing it socially and emotionally as well. So talk a bit about how you did that. I mean, I know you, there, there were a few things just to refresh your memory were about you had this thing where you would pay a certain amount of people compliments every single day, or you would talk to people at the grocery store, or you would reach out to people. So talk about how you got started in that and then how that ended up paying off for you in the long run. Yeah. So same thing. Like I was talking about tracking PRs and stuff before. So we had that mindset. If you're an athlete, if you lift, you have that mindset and now just apply that to something else. So you write things in a notebook. So let's do that every day. Now I'm on this mission. Now I know that this is the most important thing that at that time in my life, I knew that that was critical. I, I was good with my training knowledge and my business knowledge. I got to work on this because nothing's more important. So you got to prioritize one thing in your life that you're working on. You always eat. There's, there's four different pillars and you want to be working on your relationships. You want to be working on your fitness and your business and your mindset, but one's got to take priority at, at certain, there's certain seasons of your life. Right. And I just knew that that was the one that was really lagging and lacking. And so every day I would get up and say, okay, let me set some goals for the day. It's, it's not my normal personality to go out and be boisterous, engage with everybody and talk to everybody and give compliments. So let me start making it that way. Let me start pushing myself out of my comfort zone. So instead of you know, looking down at your phone in the elevator at the cashier. Let's talk to somebody. If their name's on their name tag, hey, John, how's it going? How's your day going? Mm. Or notice what they're wearing. Like if they have, maybe they have something in common. Maybe they have a, a shirt on of a band you like or a team you like or, or you're a sneakerhead and they have Jordan 1s on. You compliment their Jordan 1s. Whatever it is, like always be observing, always be present, always be aware, always be looking for something. So I would just do that every day and then I would review it. So I'd write in the morning, and this wasn't true. I think it's important to have aspirational affirmations. Instead of saying, I am what you are now, say something that you, I am and I, something that I aspire to be. Where if you read it out loud, your best friends might say, no, you're not, but that's what you're working towards. So every day I'd write, I am the most outgoing person. I change the energy in every room. I am charismatic as fuck, whatever it would be. Yeah. And then go out and live into that. And at the end of the day, of course, every day is not a linear success where you go up. There's not, no endeavor where you're going to do that. Some days are going to be shit. Some days are going to be average. Some days are going to be great. And over time, just review it at night. Okay, what did I do? How many compliments did I give people today? How many times did I smile at someone? How many times did I start a conversation? And then just continue to do it, continue to do it until maybe it's a month from now. Maybe it's six months from now. Now, all of a sudden, it's not an act anymore. Now, all of a sudden, it's not work. It's just what you do. And the reality is when you focus on other people and you give them the gift of your attention, you give them the gift of a smile, of a compliment, of a laugh, people are so disconnected. Like they're just looking at their phones all day. So if you can give someone that connection, that's an amazing gift to give them. And then you feel great. It's, it's the reason we donate to charity or donate your time. It's not just because you're 100% philanthropic. Like not all of us are Mother Teresa. 
in a way you do it too, because it makes you feel good at the end of the year. Well, I contributed 5,000 or 50,000 to this charity, or I spent this many hours doing that. It makes you feel good. Like if you want to save dogs, like I'm super passionate about saving dogs, but the dogs don't know. It makes me feel good. Right. So that's part of it. It's just when you realize that your attention can make somebody feel good and it's a gift, it'll change your whole life. And then you won't have as much stress and anxiety and unhappiness anymore. Because if you're always focused on yourself, like, oh, how can I make more money? How could I do this? How can I do that? Fix my problems. You're always going to just be stressed out. But if you go to lunch with someone, you're like, man, let me focus 100% on them. No phone. Who can I connect them, connect them to? How can I help them? How can I make them laugh? How can I pay them a compliment? Or again, just the person you meet in the elevator. Like that, that changes things for you dramatically. Spot on, man. I could geek out on this stuff all day because it's one of the things that I love most about fitness is the parallels it has into other areas of your life. Because I think there's four pillars of fitness, right? There's your physical fitness, there's your emotional fitness, there's your mental fitness and your spiritual fitness. And the, the powerful thing about being physically fit is that you can be mentally fit, emotionally fit, spiritually fit. You can do all the things, but you that won't make you physically fit. Right. Like you can read all the spiritual books, you can pray, you can go to therapy, you can do all the things, but it's not going to guarantee you that your body fat is going to be in a, at a healthy percentage or your weight's going to be in a healthy range. But if you're physically fit, it can impact those three areas immensely, right? Yeah. 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 And the other thing I love about it is if you think about if you want to build a bigger bicep, I mean, it's very relevant. It's an easy analogy. You have to put more weight on the bar. You have to do more reps. You have to be consistent for that bicep to grow. If you never do work your biceps, whether it's directly or indirectly through a variety of exercises, your arms will not grow. I mean, it's just science. And in life, like you just described, if you never put yourself out there and try to be more social, you'll never get better socially. If you don't take chances on things that scare you, then you're not going to gain any confidence. If you uh, aren't trying to be more empathetic when you're in conversations with others, then you're not going to be good at having empathy. And it's the same thing. You have to work these muscles continually. The more you work them, I mean, (laughs) your emotional and mental muscles don't quote unquote get bigger, but you get better at using them over time. Yeah. And I think, and the, I think the, the latter can also apply too. you hear a lot about overuse injuries, right? If I just sit here and I do bicep curls every single day for, for three weeks straight every day and, and not resting, I'm going to injure my bicep. I'm going to get tendonitis. I'm going to, something might happen with my forearm, tennis elbow, whatever it is. The same thing can happen if you do that with your mental and emotional muscles. If you're just fearful every day, not taking care of your fears, you're anxious, you're stressed. Like, and then you just continually stay in that same cycle and go down that rabbit hole. Three weeks later, you're going to walk around timid. Your shoulders are going to be rounded. You're going to not know your left foot from your right foot because you're just going to be focused on like everything around you. And so I can't emphasize enough to take Jay's advice and the way he went about doing this. And maybe you don't do exactly what he did, but maybe it just starts to saying for the next week, I'm going to commit to doing one act of kindness every single day whether it's letting somebody in front of me when I'm driving, buying somebody coffee, opening a door, sending a text message to somebody I haven't talked to in six months, whatever it is. But the only way you're going to get better at working those muscles and being of more of service in the example I just described is by actually getting out there and doing it. And I know one of the other things that has played a massive role in your ability to develop these skills 
is your inner circle, right? And we, we, you and I have had this conversation a lot and that you are who you surround yourself with. And not in a sense that you want to be exactly like that person. Like I know you personally, you don't want to be Bedros, but you definitely like, like and admire what he's accomplished in his life. So you try to push yourself towards that. And I'm, I'm sure I could say the same thing about Sean Stevenson. You may not want to be exactly Sean, but you admire and he inspires you in what he's accomplished. So you know that if you surround yourself with people like that long enough, you'll eventually become similar to how those people act and carry out their life. And the same could be said in the opposite. If you're around 10 people that are pessimistic, eating unhealthy all the time, just talking about how poor they're, yeah, that's horrible. It's a no, no. Right. So talk about the impact of your relationships it, it, it all came from, by the way, doing the work on yourself, a lot of it, and developing social skills to put yourself out there. How have these relationships you've had impacted your success prefer- professionally and personally? That was one of the most important things when I moved to Cali. I had a few really close friends in Jersey that will be close friends forever, but I realized a lot of the people I was spending time with were kind of just not living, thinking, performing, acting the way I wanted to. Mm. And I just needed you know, to get, to get around new people and seek them out. And Two things. One, those people aren't going to come to your door. Like the people who are living the way you want, the treating people the way you want, thinking, making the money you want, they're not just going to knock on your door and say, hey, buddy, let's be friends. <laughs> so you have to put yourself in circumstances, which you do a great job of that. You travel around and go meet people. You have to go to events. You have to invest in yourself. Where are those kind of people? Go there. Maybe it's locally. Maybe they're at a certain go on meetup.com. I mean, I get that the world's a little bit different now, but there's still things you could do. But under normal circumstances, where are they? Where can you put yourself? And oftentimes you're going to have to get on a plane. You're going to have to go travel. You're going to have to spend 500 bucks or $5,000 or $50,000 to go to an event, travel a lot. And when you go to those events, don't just hide in your hotel room. You got to put yourself out of your comfort zone, connect with people. Cause those are all like-minded people that are trying to grow, trying to get better. They're investing in themselves. You join coaching programs, masterminds, whatever. And that's how, um, so Luke is one of my closest friends. He's here staying with us this week. And uh, just last night at dinner, I got so much inspiration. I have so many new ideas. And I woke up ready to run through a wall today because that's the kind of person you want to be friends with. I hadn't seen him since uh, early December or late November. And he came down and, and he's the same way. So he always pushes himself. He makes sure that we spend time together. So he'll always fly in no more than every six to eight weeks because he and I get better being around each other. And so just last night at dinner, we talked for two hours and I was like, holy shit, I have so many new ideas, so much new motivation. But here's how he and I met. So Sam Bakhtiar, who just died, yeah. made a huge impact. Sam had an event that Luca and I both spent thousands of dollars to go to. That's how we met. We connected. We went out until four in the morning that night, partied. We stayed an extra day and we knew like, hey, there's something here. This is going to be a lifelong friendship. I'm not going to rush home. I'm going to extend my flight, whatever it might be, invest in those relationships and now it's life-changing. That was, I don't know, 10 years ago. And it's the, the impact that he and I have in each other's lives is crazy. And before that, we were at the gym. And every time we're at the gym, he and I are both getting world-class coaches to work on each other. Like I was coaching him through some stuff. And then he was coaching me through some stuff. And we just had out, outside eyes. And we're, we never just go do a workout. The whole workout is a learning session, the coaching session, where he's seeing things I don't see. And I'm seeing things he doesn't see. And so, it, I mean, like, that's, you can't put a price tag on that. Bedros and I met Craig Valentine, a longtime close friend of mine, was having a Toys for Tots drive. And, and, and this was probably about 10 years ago as well. This was in Den- or maybe eight years, I, I can't remember, in Denver. And he said, hey, why don't you fly out for this? And we're all going to spend X amount of money. And Bedros and I met at dinner that night. 
And I said, wow, this guy's amazing. We're hitting it off. This is someone I want to be friends with. So how can I add value? How can I help? At the time, Bedros will tell this story, told this story times. He didn't have much of a social life. He didn't do a lot of stuff. Like he was just head down grinding. So when we got back to LA, I was like, hey man, next week we're going to a concert. We're going to the forum. Bedros had never tailgated before. He was like, <laughs> all right, we're going to get a bunch of food. We're going to get some drinks. We're going to tailgate. We're hanging out. And then the next week we're going to the comedy store to see, you know, whoever it was. And then we're going to baseball games. And like I created it so much fun for him and was just adding value to his life. And I have other friends like that. Like one of my other best friends is Becky Lynch. She's the number one biggest female star in pro wrestling. And the second I met her, I was like offering help, helping her move to LA, introducing their people, offering her feedback on the psychology that applies to wrestling, that applies to sales, that applies to all humans and how she can apply that to her career. And so all those people, my five or six best friends are always doing that for me and I'm always doing that for them. But you got to seek those people out. You got to be proactive about that all the time. You got to take care of your people. You got to check in on your people. You got to be of value to people. And uh, yeah, that's kind of. And I think one of the, the things I got out of that, I mean, there's a few, but first is how you continue to take the lessons that you've learned in your own journey and pay it forward, right? I mean, we saw, we see that, we saw that with your fitness journey and how you fitness had such a dynamic impact on your life that you're like, all right, I want to become a trainer to help other people reap the same rewards that I got from exercising. And then you did more work on yourself and you worked on the emotional and mental muscles. And then you meet some other people and you're like, okay, how can I pay this forward and help them do a better job at working their mental and emotional muscles so that they can be more successful in their personal and professional lives. And that's kind of how, how it works. And I think a lot of people listening to this, they see people online, they see people who have coaches or podcasts and like, man, I would love to get connected to these people. And one of the biggest things that I always try to tell people is, all right, like the, the easiest way you can do it is to attend their events, maybe send them a gift or something that adds value. I mean, just really like get, have them feel that you know them well enough to care. And, it, and I'm not saying that it's going to result in them being best friends with you, but at least that's how you get the ball rolling. That's how you get eyeballs on you. Right. And it's a process. I'm sure for you, like some of the people you've met, it wasn't like a, just a simple introduction and now you're best friends with them. It was continuing to water that plant of a relationship over years, over time, so that people could feel connected. They could feel respected, heard and that, they're safe to be around you and share some of the, their ideas with you or be open to receiving ideas on what you have to say. And so there's a lot of people right now that maybe they're listening to this and it's inspired them to hire a coach or to get into some of these circles. And they're like, all right, how do I figure out like who to hire or not even who to hire, but how do I figure out like wh what coach is good for me? Because there is a lot of coaches out there. There's a lot of people that have networking groups and a lot of them are great. And some you're like, eh, I don't know. So what has your experience been like in that sense? And what advice do you have for someone who's trying to, maybe they're interested in hiring a coach or getting into one of these groups and what to look for? So just to touch on something you just mentioned there previously is, A, a lot of times people that you hire eventually become one of your best friends. Like that's kind of the story for Craig and Bedros. And sometimes people that are a fan of yours and that you were a fan of, like you don't think it's reality now, that could be a person that you end up having over your house for dinner. Like, so don't be intimidated. Don't be scared. Do this stuff. Like Luca grew up, well, I'm six years older than him, but kind of came up in fitness, looking up to what I did. He was a fan of mine. And now he's one of my best friends that stays at my house. Uh, I was a fan of Bedros's. And now 
he and I are, you know, best friends. I was a fan of a lot of people that I am super close friends with. People were fans of mine that I'm super close friends with now. So don't be intimidated. Like someone's going to take this position. Someone's going to become this person's friend. Someone's going to become Katie Perry's hairstylist. Like you can do anything as long as you're confident and push yourself out there. In terms of hiring a coach, when it came to just pure fitness, I would often say to people, and, and some of these people are people that I love to death, really close friends of mine, colleagues of mine. But when they post pictures of themselves in high school, I'm like, dude, anything's going to work for that dude. Like one of my colleagues who's amazing, but everyone in his family is a pro athlete. He's naturally jacked out of his mind when he's 12. Like I could name five to seven colleagues that were bigger than I was at 22 when they were 13. Like, so they just had these freak genetics. So I always say hire me for fitness because I'm the worst genetics under the, under the sun. Like I was super tiny, always fat, always weak, always unathletic, always struggled. So I had to really work hard to figure out what works. So first and foremost, has someone gone through what you're going through, struggled what you're struggling with? Has it come easy to them? And then are they authentically living what they say and the way you want to? Look at their transformation over time. Like I have a documented, like you can go back and look at me 10 years ago. You can listen to me 10 years ago, five years ago. I listen to the podcast, you know, and see what I've done. And there's so many coaches that are like that too. Like my, again, I'll refer back to Craig. You can see how much different Craig Valentine is now than he was three years ago, seven years ago, 15 years ago, and all the years I've known him. And that's what's so cool. That's what's so inspiring. So look at coaches who are always pushing themselves, always growing, always their kind of values and morals and whatever and ethics align with yours. And honestly, I think for me, having a personal interest, like people know that I'm obsessed with hip hop, that I love comedy, that I can quote every Seinfeld episode, things like that. And if you have a personal interest with the person, like that I'm a diehard Yankees fan, so many of my coaching clients have been one or all those things. And then we just hit it off on a different level. It's like above and beyond just talking about training and personal development, we'll start talking about Nas versus Biggie versus Jay-Z, things like this. And uh, I think you just get more out of it. You develop a close personal relationship with the person. Absolutely. And I, I think one of the things you touched on that is important for everyone to take away from that is somebody can only take you as far along on your journey as they've taken them on them their own journey, right? So look at somebody who has right, gone right. through it, who has made that transformation, who has gone from the place where you are to where you're looking to go or, or similarly or, or close to where you want to go and then start there. And then from there, you can maybe do a bit more research and say, hey, do I really align with this person's values, um, what they stand for, what they like? Trust your gut. I think trusting your gut and your, and your intuition in that sense is, is important. And then I think also it's like, how do they live their life like behind the doors? When the doors aren't open, how are they living? Are they the same person on social media as they are when somebody that they don't know sees them out at a restaurant or sees them walking? Yeah. So I think that's important. I think authenticity Huge. and integrity is a lost art. And a lost value in today's society that we live in where everything is on social media. People are posting their highlight reels everywhere and you don't know what's true from false and how people live their lives. So really just try to do your due diligence in how, how they are when the camera's off. I mean, and again, people make mistakes. I'm not saying that everyone's perfect, but just try to gauge that because I think that's going to be really important. And like Jay said, like common interests are going to be a big thing because it'll be a lot easier with for you to connect and build that relationship and rapport off connecting off hip hop or off of comedy than it will 
than it will to initially be like, all right, so like, what are your mental health issues that you need help with right now? You're going to be very closed off. It's going to be hard to develop a relationship. And for coaches that are listening to this, I think Jay made a great point. Like that's a great way for to connect with your clients. Like think about the things that aren't related to what you're working on that you can connect them with on surface level, yeah. right? You can't just go deep with somebody you don't know. Like it's really, it's very rare that you're able to do that. And someone just spills everything to you right away. Most people, when they're sharing about the things they want to accomplish in their health that they're insecure about or their personal lives, professional lives, they're not just as open about it. So maybe try to bridge that gap with finding out what their interests are. And so you can kind of connect on that first. And I, so I think it works both ways. So I don't want to have you I love on what here. You said, I, say, I love what you said about hiring someone who's done what you want to do, because that's important too, for, for a coach to admit like, Hey, I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't like to do business coaching, but if I were, I could, if you said, Hey, I'm making a hundred grand a year, how do I get to two fifty or how do I get to five? Okay. I can help you with that. I know how to do that. But if you said, how do I build a franchise and how do I make $20 million a year? I don't know how to do that. Bedros yeah. knows how to do that. Go to Bedros. You know what I mean? Right. Or it's been years now since I've trained a football player and I don't want to get back into it. And I probably, if I had to refresh myself on how to train for the 40 and the setup, like I could do it, but I would say, go to Joe DeFranco. He's still actively doing that. You know what I mean? So you have to be, as a coach, you have to be able to say, no, I only do these certain things. I don't know certain things. And then as someone looking for a coach, look to someone who's honest enough to say, you know what? I don't think it's the right fit. You should go see this guy. You should go see that guy. My friend is great. He'll be a perfect fit for you. Or maybe you don't know anyone. Just, hey, man, I'm sorry. I can't help you out. That's not what I do. Yeah. And doing the work on yourself will grant you this one thing that Jay just kind of reflected on. And that's humility is knowing that you don't know everything. You can't do everything. And we live in a world where people are just trying to make money however they can and not have their egos hurt at all. And they're afraid to say, you know what? Like, I don't know this. I can't do yeah. it. And, I, and I've been yeah. in, in similar situations where I've just I've turned down money. And I'm like, I, honestly, like I could take your money. And I could try, but I'm not the best fit for you, nor is it going to yeah. really serve me or fulfill me doing it. And then it's not going to be a good relationship either way. So what I was alluding to earlier is I, I don't want to have you on here, not talk about fitness. And I think one of the last things I want to chat with you about is this, as we're recording, it's towards the end of 2020, this episode will probably come out sometime right after the new year. And health is on the forefront of everyone's minds especially this year with everything that's gone on with COVID and people realizing that maybe they've let their mental health go or they let their physical health go. So people, I, I hope it's going to be on the, the top of people's list to work on for 2021. And you've been in the business for 25 years and you've seen a lot. I'm sure your programming's changed over the years, but what are a few staples that you think if anybody's trying to look at maybe hiring a, a trainer, maybe they're trying to buy a program or, or do something themselves. What are a few staples that you think everybody should include in their own health journey for 2021? Sleep. Sleep is going to be number one, first and foremost. Now, as kind of type A driven people, I mean, I have the word relentless tattooed on my forearm. Like it's always a badge of honor. Oh, I don't have to sleep. I'll sleep when I'm dead. All that kind of nonsense. Sleep is the cousin of death, like Nas said. Yeah. But sleep is first and foremost. Like your performance in the gym, the amount of muscle you build, the strength you gain, the body fat that you lose, which a lot of people don't associate that with, your cognitive performance, your happiness, your mood, your health, your immune system, all related to sleep. So, and the reason that, that I bring that up first and foremost is because everyone's going to say, all right, well, I'm going to start eating this way. I'm going to start training. I'm going to do all these things. I'll take all these supplements. I'll take drugs. I'll get on <laughs> GH and test, whatever it might be. But no one's going to wake up 
January 1st and say, all right, what's going to be my sleep routine to really improve my sleep by 30, 40% this year. But that should be number one because everything else is useless if you don't dial in your sleep. It's like the fountain of youth. It's everything. So work on that. And just briefly, sleep starts with when you wake up in the morning, that's how you get a good night of sleep. First thing in the morning, get outside, get some natural sunlight and do five minutes of exercise. Just move around, just do some mobility drills or just walk the space for 10 minutes. That's super important. And then the common stuff that we've heard a million times over is have a nighttime routine, keep the lights low, no electronics, keep the room pitch black, keep it cool, things like that. And then you can play with your diet to see what works best for you. But sleep, prioritize that and every single other thing will get better, I promise you. Then you want to lift weights, obviously, or do, do resistance training. It could be body weight as long as it's, you know, the resistance enough that you can do six to 12 reps. You don't want to be doing 40 reps on everything forever. But do some kind of heavy resistance training three to five days a week. That's key. That's more important than cardio. And a lot of times people get caught up in, oh, should I just, A, they do too much cardio. Or B, they're like, oh, well, I'll just do yoga and stretch and mobility. But proper strength training eliminates the need for a lot of those things. So do that. And then as we alluded to earlier, set some kind of goals, some kind of progressive overload, track PRs, do just enough, not too much. And one thing that I am huge on that nobody talks enough about is execution. So everybody thinks they know how to train, which is weird because nobody thinks they know how to do their own teeth. I don't think I know how to fix my own car or do my own taxes, but everyone knows how to train. Oh yeah, it's just deadlifts. It's just rows and things like that. Well, Luke and I have been doing rows and, and pull downs for 25 years. And last night I was showing things to him that he was like, oh fuck, I've never done it like this before. I never felt my lats like that before. And I was doing a Romanian deadlift and he was showing me things. I was like, oh, that's a great cue. I never, that actually made a big difference in my hamstrings and low back feel better doing it that way. So I would really work on your execution. Like you wouldn't just play golf and just flail away at it. So execution is key. And it, it's hard to emphasize that on a podcast. It's even hard to emphasize that in a video. It often takes someone coming to train with me and they're like, oh, wow, that was insane. It's the first time I didn't feel my shoulder hurt on that exercise. But so I don't know how to convey that, but just really work on it. It is important. The execution of every rep is going to save your joints. And it's going to get ex exponentially better results. And then, of course, nutrition is, is, is key. And basically, super simple is if protein and produce. Protein and produce. If you can pick it or kill it, it's probably add in some carbs as you need to recover. Sweet potatoes, potatoes, white rice, things like that. Because your gut health controls your cognitive function and your, and your immune health as well. So just make sure you're eating foods that align with, uh, that make you feel good. And, and, and that's really it. And then, and of course, the, the icing on the cake. And, and maybe, honestly, the most important thing is what we've talked about through half of this, this episode is relationships. It's like work on your relationships. When they studied the blue zones, at first it was like, well, let's figure out the commonalities of how they live and how they eat. It's really that they're the most connected. They have the strongest social ties. Right now, we're hearing about the dangers of lockdowns and how loneliness is the number one predictor of death and health issues and things like that. So connect with people and build strong relationships. That is really one of the most important uh, pillars and foundations of, of good health. Yeah, man. I mean, you said it really well. And I think the thing that I think people need to remember is just keep it simple. Like, I, I mean that in the nicest way possible in that if you just drank more water, if you focused on your sleep, which by the way, I think sleep and then like hydration are probably, I think sleep's first and hydration, a strong number two in the foundation of health, as far as like before you address your nutrition and lifting weights, you want to make sure you're hydrated and everything else. Cause if you're not hydrated, your workouts aren't going to be nearly as good as if they, they are. And you're going to be hungrier when it comes to your diet, if you're not hydrated, but 
if you could just sleep better, drink more water, lift weights, eat better, surround yourself with great people over time. If you just do those five things, those five simple things, it will pay the greatest dividends over the course of your life ever. More so than buying a thousand dollar online workout program, more so than doing this cleanse. And I'm not knocking people who do that. I'm just saying like people would try to overthink what they need to do for their health. And it's really simple. And when you talked about execution, I think the, the easiest way, at least for me, if I could um, convey it to the audience is just make sure you're doing things right. Like try to yeah. do things in the best way possible and humble yourself. Don't throw 225 on the squat bar. If you can't go all the way down, swallow your pride a little bit and say, you know what? I'm not yeah. as strong as where, where I want to be right now, but eventually I will get there if I do things properly. And, and I think the thing that people, people apply to, that to sports, right? Like at the end of his career, Derek Jeter was still trying to be better at hitting and Kobe was still trying to be better at shooting. Yeah. But we don't go into the gym and think, how can I get better at doing a dumbbell press today? How can I get better at activating my lats? You've got to always be thinking that with every physical endeavor you do, how can I be more efficient at it? How can I be better at it? Yeah, and you're right. And I think the last thing I'll say on this and we'll wrap is that I think a big trend is, that's going to be going on too is – being more preventative when it comes to exercise, like more like risk versus reward with exercise, like not benching 300 pounds just for an ego boost being like, all right, what's going to be the best of my joints so, so that I can be able to do this for the rest of my life. So I'm not that guy who's 60 and can't lift weights anymore because I've just completely crushed my rotator cuff yeah. and my hips and lower back for 40 years. Yeah. Like, and I think you brought up a good point in how can I do this exercise better? Maybe you go down slower on the rep. Maybe you go lighter and you really start to work on the mind-muscle connection. Maybe you work on your breath. I mean, whatever it is, instead of just being like, okay, the only metric of measuring how good I am at exercise or fitness is, is weight. And I think yeah. it's just how it is with life. Like the only metric a lot of times people is see with success is money when really it's so much deeper than that. Just like in the gym, it's so much deeper than how much weight. Like, are you doing it properly? Like I, I'm sure you've seen a, a million times the person who goes and does the, like the forearm curls, trying to do bicep curls with all the weight, or they're going like a quarter of the way down doing a squat. And you look at them and you're like, man, I wish I could go over there and just take the weight off for them and tell them that like, listen, like, unless you go all the way down, you're not going to get stronger unless you do the full range of motion and you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You got to treat every, every single rep with respect. And another baseball analogy is you watch a guy go up to the batter's box he'll have a routine that he goes through, right? He might hit both cleats. He might undo his batting gloves and whatever. He's got a routine and he's treating that with respect. He's showing that he's going to get in there and he's going to do serious work. He's focused. When people in the gym just run over and they just jump on the chin-up bar, just a pair of dumbbells, and there's no respect given to the movement, to the physical endeavor. So my friend Ben Pakolsky has his thing is SSI, set up stabilize, initiate. So before you do any exercise, you could be having a conversation, but when it's time for me to go, I'm going to rudely end that conversation. I'm going to walk over to the bar. I'm going to set up and make sure everything's turned on. Do my hips need to be externally rotated? Where do I need to be? Then, okay, I'm locked in. Now I'm going to initiate with that muscle. So to your example of a barbell curl or a dumbbell curl, I'm not just going to swing it up mindlessly. I'm going to say, okay, how can I, I know that each muscle has an origin and an insertion, two endpoints. How do I bring those two parts together and how do I make both ends of that muscle pull on the bone as hard as possible? And before the, the movement takes place, before the bar moves off of my quads, how do I make sure that my biceps contracting as hard as humanly possible? Then I get it fully shortened. 
Then I fully lengthen it, all under control. And one thing for people to remember is the transition from the eccentric to the concentric. If you can master that, because most people just bounce, even if they yeah. do a controlled four-second eccentric, it's three, and then all of a sudden that bounce out of the bottom. So how can you make yourself work really hard at the bottom of that eccentric, get that muscle fully lengthened, and then with no momentum, make that muscle work as hard as possible. If you master that within 90 days, you're going to say, oh my God, my body looks completely different. Maybe you're not using as much weight. Maybe you're using the same weight. It doesn't matter. But my bicep, my muscles, my physique looks different and my joints hurt way less. And trust me, if you're in your 20s or 30s, listen to this, train with longevity in mind, just like Doug just said, because you're eventually going to get to 40 or 50 or 70. And you're like, oh, why didn't I not pay attention to that years ago? Yeah. And if, if I'm correct, it's been a while since I've really gotten, I've looked into this, but if I remember correctly, you're, you get way more muscle activation in the eccentric movement than you do in the concentric movement because you, you have to stabilize. You got to work on controlling the weight to come down. So you don't smash yourself versus when you're coming up, it's a lot more, you know, power, fast twitch muscle. I, th- I mean, just yeah. from what my yeah. understanding in the science and, and also like, I remember when I first started doing this, the more eccentric training. This was years ago when I was the guy that was just benching and doing all kinds of meathead training and not really caring about the health of my joints. And I would get the same AC joint flare up rotator cuff. And I started doing more of the eccentric training and I started to actually get really sore again in the right places and like a good sore and a sore. I was like, man, this feels good. My, my pecs feel good. My legs feel good. I'm not achy. I'm sore, but not having an issue like sitting down. Like that was the thing. It was like, Oh, if you're if you're not completely like punched over and can't walk, then it wasn't a good workout. And in reality, I mean, I think it's, it's far from the truth. So as, and then in this, as far as respect, I want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to kind of close now. And I've really appreciated all the wisdom you shared just from your personal life, professional life, fitness, mental fitness, emotional fitness that I think the listeners are going to get a lot out of and want to connect to you even further. So where can people uh, find out more about you if they want to look into more of what you got going on? Yeah, just go to j.fit on Instagram, at jferugia, and then on iTunes, wherever podcasts are at, it's Renegade Radio Podcast. Sweet, man. Well, once again, thanks for coming on. And for those listening, the only thing that I ask is that you, if you like this episode, you got a nugget of wisdom out of something that either myself or Jay shared, just take a screenshot, tag Jay, tag myself with one of your biggest takeaways, or maybe maybe it was something that he said as far as his progressive overload programming that he does he did with his mental and emotional fitness that you can work on with yourself as we as you're trying to grow and be a better version of yourself or maybe it was something he said about networking or relationships or continuing to work on yourself we'd love to hear from you we we always love feedback and we once again thank you for listening to this episode of the adversity advantage i'm your host doug bobst we'll see you next time